Three things cannot be long hidden. The sun, the moon, and the truth. Buddha. Hello everyone, and welcome to Secrets of Saturn. I am Jason Lindgren, your host. On this episode, we have Crow777. He has a YouTube channel that is very well known that specializes in astrophotography and astrovideography. He is well known for his lunar wave video as well as countless other very fascinating videos from Crow's YouTube channel. I will only post clips as they were shot and will not alter or add misleading content. I further pledge that I will not post deceptive or false footage. Much of what we have been told about our moon, solar system, UFOs, and the importance of scientific astrology is deceptive or fails to include the entire picture. My hope is that the clips posted here will help to begin reshaping what we know about our reality, or lack of reality. I will also occasionally post clips that point out the deceptions of our mass media and news organizations to underscore the importance of using our God-given ability to search and find truth. Much of what we know is wrong, but we do have the ability to access and share information to find the truth. This is no longer an easy task given the sheer volume of intentional misinformation cascading in from all directions. Welcome to the show, Crow. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It is a real pleasure having you here, sir. I know you've discussed the lunar wave and everything on a lot of other programs, so if you want to just give a, a brief recap of who you are, and we'll go right into this. Well, I think uh, people really began to recognize me uh, on YouTube because of Lunar Wave. It was first filmed by me in 2012 near the fall equinox. It happened to co- coincide on the night of the highest Jewish holiday, which I always thought was in- interesting, called Yom Kippur. Um, for those who haven't seen it, they can go to my channel, Crow777. It's C-R-R-O-W-777. There's plenty of Lunar Wave footage posted there. I believe something like nine of us have filmed it between 12 and 16 times. Um, I have trouble keeping up if I don't go back and count. <laughs> um, but I think it was a year and a half from the time that I filmed it uh, to the time that I filmed it again. And then finally, a gentleman named Gustav in Germany uh, caught probably the most different lunar wave, which was the first second-hand confirmation we had, and then the rest is history. And again, to go to my channel, you can kind of see where that's come if you go back to the early clips and go up through all the clips that say lunar wave on them. Sounds great. Now, obviously, this there's some sort of phenomena that's really going on here. It's not just you finding it on the same equipment. It's different equipment with different people. So obviously, there's something going on here. And this is before we even discuss any of the, the NASA photo fakery that not just you, but a lot of people have been uncovering for quite a few years now. Do you have any inkling or any theories about what's really going on with all this? Well, I mean, I think you're asking me what is the reality under the kind of lies that we've been handed, and, you know, that's the $64 million question. That's what we're all working towards. But I think it's safe to say at this point, having done years of research, many thousands of hours behind a telescope, many thousands of hours behind a telephoto in daytime, um, there has been a false construct created. And it's not just NASA that's done this. Um, You know, we have Star Trek, the TV show, who kind of took what NASA and textbooks had defined and repackaged it and gave it to us in prime time every night. Then we have the movie theaters doing the same thing with Star Wars. Um, 
it's pretty clear that whatever the reality of what we call space is has been misdescribed. And I've said on the record a lot of times, this world is misdescribed. Uh, so many people ask me, am I a flat earther? Well, no, I'm really not. And the main reason is, is because I see a lot of dissension in that community. But I think what they're doing is important. Uh, they're challenging the construct of the description of this world we've been handed. And while I think it will be redefined, I don't think it's going to happen overnight. And um, telling you what the reality of it is, I don't think we're, we're there yet. I don't think we can tell you what it is. Um, but we can, for certain, tell you that NASA and media and movies have really lied and pushed the false construct of what we're expected to believe space and planets and these things are. Right. And this has been going on for decades now, like you mentioned with Star Trek. It seems that they had an agenda in mind, and then they slowly started uh, integrating that into our society. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's no doubt. I think that um, any space agency in this world is complicit, and I think that they were formed with the idea that they were going to hide the nature of where we are, you know, our place, and, you know, where are we in the scope of things? What is our place? Um, this has been hidden, and if you consider why it's done, um, I've used this analogy a lot. It's like computer data, bad information in, bad information out. If you consider that the average human being has spent their entire life making decisions based on bad information, that's a very controllable population when you consider the people. There are people somewhere who have a good information, a good definition of where we are. So I think at the base of it, it's about control. I totally agree though with that. It, it it certainly seems so, and it's not just the United States either. It seems to be every country. Uh, I've seen videos oh. of the Chinese faking things, and uh, my big question is with the Russians. Like during during the uh, the Cold War, they were obviously doing a huge amount of uh, space work as well. And what were we seeing with their supposed successes? You know. Well, I mean, that kind of shows you the false construct that we were handed. So what we're told is we're in this battle with our mortal enemies, those damn communists, you know, the Russians, the bad guys. Um, there's a, always got to be a bad guy. Right now, terrorists are the bad guys. There is never a time in our history when there's not a bad guy. But in the Cold War, the Russians were the bad guys, and we were told that we were in this big race, and the Russians were ahead of us, and then finally we beat them to the moon. And the victorious USA and supreme, you know, we did it. But when you examine that construct, you can see the falsehood that it is. You see, the Russians were complicit at that level. Um, there was no animosity. They were playing from the same playbook. And you can demonstrate this by simply considering why is it that they spent all that time, effort, money, presumably blood, you know, people must have been injured or hurt during all this, um, and then they just stopped as soon as America put the boot down. That makes zero sense. I mean, just because America put the first boot down when you had done all that we were told Russia had done, wouldn't you complete and finally put a man up there? Well, they never did. They walked away, and it shows the false construct. But there's other things you can look at. If you look at all the space agencies, um, and I maintain that they're all above government, and they're all complicit in a club playing the same kind of mind game, Look at the logos. There's a vector symbol in every space agency logo. It's like, yes. you know, their little secret handshake <laughs> that they're in the secret club. Um, but it, it's it's pretty self-evident that what we were told was going on was in fact a joint effort to 
keep the illusion of what our place is in this universe if there is such a thing a secret. Right, and and I've heard it said by multiple researchers that the farthest that anyone's gotten is just low Earth orbit. Right, and I, I have said many times I don't believe that low Earth orbit could even be considered what we call space. Um, I, I'm running, uh, I'm starting a podcast and I'll be running members-only video there. I will still run my YouTube stuff, but the reason I'm doing that is because I'm not held to all the rules uh, that YouTube will hold me to. And I have a snapshot of someone who took a picture of a supposed rocket taking a GPS satellite into orbit. And what they did was they opened the shutter so that you can see the whole arc of the rocket. And what you see is the rocket go up to apex and then the kind of parabolic arc, or that's not the right word, the arc of the rocket kind of flattens out on the backside and you can see it coming back down. And it's such a funny thing because under this image was posted, wow, I took this picture of a rocket going to orbit. When you can see plain as day that it went to apex and it's coming back down, um, it's a hell of a shot. And for my money, there is a hard, fast boundary uh, between what we call space and our atmosphere. Don't know what that is, don't know why that is, but there is just ample evidence to show that these rockets are arcing out and just splashing down in the ocean. There is no footage from a ground-based observer of a rocket going all the way, and that makes zero sense. And in the HE age, anything amazing that can be filmed will be filmed, and we don't have that footage. Um, we don't have any footage that I would say is real uh, shot in space. It just doesn't exist. So do you think that there is anything accurately showing anything that's out there? Planets, stars, nebula, anything? Well, I mean, I can take my telescope. I can shoot the M42 Orion Nebula. I can shoot Jupiter. I can shoot Saturn. I've posted these things on my channel. So we do know that there are lights there that we have named Jupiter, Saturn, M42. Those things are there, um, but... We can no longer accept the descriptions that we were handed because the people who handed us those descriptions are basically psychopathic liars. And so to accept any information from them, in my view, is the definition of insanity. So what we can know of what we see when we look up at night is that there's lights there. And that's about what we can know right now. But I mean, if, if, if you're a tuned in person and you understand that movies and media have these coded memes that kind of convey information below what the average person can detect or understand, what it refers to space as is water. Even the Bible does it, separating the, the firmament separates the waters from the water. Now, I can't tell you if that's true, but I can absolutely tell you that this hidden kind of subtext is pointing to space being water. And there's a, quite a few movies. I mean, uh, one of my nephews was watching Guardians of the Galaxy, and there are actually some shots in that movie where they show people stranded outside their spaceship, and they're clearly underwater. Um, you see these memes, and uh, now it's really kind of being portrayed in the movies as well. Um, so I don't know, I kind of wandered off what you asked me there, but no, it's okay. back. Uh, well, it's interesting, all, all of this, because I've been studying... For instance, the Nagamati texts and what the, that discusses and a lot of what generally gets lumped up as the religion of the elites, uh, Mystery Babylon, the ancient Saturnalian death cults. And it seems like there's definitely 
something obfuscated about our history and what reality is, and that is completely filtered down through the centuries to today, where there's we're finally at a point where the average person can challenge the illusion that's been created by these people. And this extends to everything. I mean, from the simple things that a lot of people figure out, like the Federal Reserve is not federal, and, you know, the... Uh, the birth name is an account and all this, all this stuff that they're pulling on us with the banking. Right. You know, now we're talking about, Oh, this extends far beyond that. I mean, our entire worldview or universe view, there's something not right about what we accept as reality. Right. Well, I mean, none of it's right. And, you know, I think the common sense construct that we can identify is that there was, were families, probably royal in our history who had come to a point where they had all the money, all the power, all the access to important information, all the land. Uh, they wrote the rules. They had all the people under them working for the crown. Uh, places like the Vatican, maybe other places that I don't know if you directly relate them to royalty, but these kinds of families. And they never lost that power. And so what we see is running up to the modern day uh, just different ways to hide the fact that there are small groups of people when compared to the global population or the world population, I guess I should say, um, that are holding all the power. And even to the point where you see things like India being ruled by the British monarchy and then all of a sudden, well, they're leaving. You know, that that's done. Britain no longer rules India. But you see... If you look carefully enough, Britain never quit running or controlling that part of the world. As a matter of fact, it's just been obfuscated so that it's not obvious that there is a royal head and admirals and these other peoples running the show. It's been turned into something else, yet the control is still exerted. It's exerted through laws. It's exerted through money. It's exerted through all these things. Um, even the people put in charge as Britain was walking out the door were clearly puppets of the regime. Um, and so, you know, we, we look at the modern age and people are still looking at shows like Downton Abbey uh, and that are also popular when it's showing you the same construct. You have a group of people who are the special people, the royal people. Um, they may speak six languages. They have all the money, all the access to good information, the best education, and the people surrounding them all of us may not even read in that construct. So I would submit that once upon a time, there were what we call royals um, or special families who had amassed all the power and money, and they never lost that. And so what we see is just the construct moving forward where the small group of people is figuring out more and more ways to control all of us. And that reaches into every facet of everyday life. No, I totally agree with that. And and here's the thing. A lot of people say that this is ridiculous. When you have the kind of money that these people have, you can buy secrecy. They didn't need it, obviously, more than 100, 150 years ago. They would just stay out of the, out of the limelight that whatever would have been in the, of the day. But in today's modern technology, I'm quite certain that they just are buying off the capability to stay away from everything. I mean, these aren't people that you're going to accidentally bump into down at the grocery store. So... If they want to keep this illusion going, I'm quite confident they could do that. Well, I mean, you mentioned the Federal Reserve, and for people who understand that your birth certificate is actually a corporation set up in your name, that you're being traded as chattel, um, you've got to understand that with a system like central banking, they changed 
the value of what money is some time back. It used to be backed by precious metals, gold and silver and such. Mm-hmm. When that changed, what happened was we basically are passing paper around and just agreeing that it has some intrinsic value, when in fact it doesn't. But if you look at how money is created, we basically have a number of families called the Federal Reserve, these special families we've been talking about, and they sit down at a computer and they invent money out of thin air. So the idea that money has to be amassed or that someone has to be rich enough to do these things is absolutely silly. They can sit down at a computer and make any amount of money they want. And the funny thing about that is that money is immediately loaned at interest to governments. So from the very inception of money, a group of people make it out of nothing. It has no intrinsic value, and then debt is created the minute it's put into circulation when it's given to a government. So it's a system built on debt, and you know it, it's just it makes everything kind of laughable when you begin to dissect what we've been handed. Where you turn on cable news and everyone's arguing about the national debt. Hmm. It's ridiculous. The system is built on debt. The system that we currently function on, under requires that more debt is accumulated every year for this house of cards to remain standing. But at the base of what we're talking about, there are a group of people where no matter what number you come up with, they can match that in money because having money is not the issue. What is the issue is controlling the fact that the rest of us have a hard time getting money. That is the real issue. Right. And you're right. It's not just money. It's that they control all the resources and pretty much everything. They, right. All, well, all the land. Look at what's going on in the Middle East. Um, and I was going to look into this. I haven't looked into it. But I was told that something about the, the Islamic religion dictates that they have to have precious metals backing their money. I don't know if that's true yet. But if that is true, and I will look into it consider why they would be attacking that part of the world so hard, because as long as there are large populations still having their money backed by a precious metal, it makes it very difficult for these kind of control freaks to get in there and do what they've done here. Right, because nearly every country on Earth, and I think it's down to three now, only three countries on the planet are not part of a central banking system, if if my memory is correct. And that means that they've got all but three countries on the planet under their thumb. Well, I think it's, you know, I I think we can demonstrate at this point in a number of ways that there are very few places uh, on this world that are not co-opted into the system. And if we look through history, you can see what's done to indigenous peoples. And while we have no way to know if the history we've been handed is true, because most of us can't see back beyond maybe a great-grandparent, so if we choose to believe these historical accounts that were handed, we're just kind of choosing to believe it for the most part. Um, sometimes I guess we can get evidences that back up the story. My point is, look at Australia, the Aborigines there. Look what happened to them. Look at the story we're handed about American Indians. Look what's going on in the Middle East right now. They're kind of just decimating every old, old culture that could have a link to something that is real beyond the false construct that's that we're living under that we've been handed so you know there it is right and they come up with the same excuse every time they want to go after a new area it's just the same thing over and over and over again and then they tug on the heartstrings of of the people usually in the united states and in they go and it's all always about resources 
Just... Yeah, it's, I mean, recently we saw, I think it was France going to Mali where the Dogon live, and we're told that the Dogon are some very ancient culture. And so, you know, there it was. Terrorism was used. I think it was terrorism. I don't remember now. For France to go tromping into Mali. And, you know, you know what's going to become of these indigenous peoples. Um, and what's really crazy about it is for the average person, there's real value when we consider an indigenous culture, the things they know, the language they have, the traditions, the medicine, just all the things that for presumably centuries this culture has accumulated, for someone to come in and erase that, that's a pretty psychopathic thing, man, if you consider it. Um, to me, losing something like that is akin to maybe losing a species. You know, you can't get that back. Is there a higher value you can place on anything? Right. Um, but yet when you have these kind of psychopathic rulers who just go in and erase things. No, I totally agree with you. And if I remember correctly, just to throw this out there, isn't the Dogon tribe one of those groups of people that had direct archaeological evidence of alien contact? Well, the, the, the book, uh, what was it, The Serious Mystery, or I've, I've forgotten the name of it. I read it way back in the day um, before I pulled myself away from published materials that are published by big publishers because um, they get the modern edit. They're in the system. But the Dogon, it has been claimed, have a direct relationship to ancient Egypt, um, that they somehow branched off, that their hieroglyphics were similar, and yes, that there was some kind of a contact to, I believe, the Sirius star system. But who the heck knows? I mean, really, who the heck knows? What we're getting is published accounts that come from, you've got to view publishers basically as you view TV. These are the rich people owning and controlling all the publishing. So, you know, it is what it is. I spent my life in the 80s reading the damn Jim Mars books, but now when I look back, I'm embarrassed to think how much time I wasted, uh, considering that there was actually some value there that could be worth something. Jim Mars, you said? Well, all the published materials. It doesn't matter. You know, you see so many people looking at, uh, what's the what's the name of that guy who supposedly saw alien spaceships at Area 51 and his buddy? Bob Lazar. Um, yeah, Bob Lazar. There you go. Broke on mainstream news, and then you've got the the famous pilot, John Lear. It's, it's all kind of filtering through the system. Um, there's no reality to it. There's no vetting to it. It's, uh, it's a bit like going to television to get your truth. I mean, these are the go-to guys. Um, you look at guys like uh, Richard Hoagland. You know, he's the go-to guy when you want to talk about aliens on the moon and aliens on Mars, but they will only talk about that narrow sliver. They have a connection to NASA, um, and it's, it's all hogwash. There's no value there. These are the old guard. And they're going to be replaced by the individual now who are going out with clean eyes and, you know, doing the research as I have done and others have done and expose all this silliness for what it is. Um, it's just more mainstream obfuscation to get the supposed conspiracy community to think they're getting the conspiratorial angle when, in fact, what they're getting is just rubbish. You know, it's interesting. You, you said about the old guard. The person who comes to mind most with, uh, in my mind for the old guard would be Art Bell. Exactly. There is no way to be on air or on TV or through a major publisher without playing the game. It can't be done. Consider who owns the doors and the keys to these places. Right. We're talking about the richest of the rich. We're talking about the royalty. We're talking about these same people 
that you know started this conversation. If you want to publish a book that matters, that has good information, like if I wanted to go out and publish a book on the lunar wave and spend the next three years getting all my private best information I think I can provide and then hit Penguin Publishers, what do you think is going to happen there? Oh, you're going to get I doubt if I would be published, but if I was, you know the edit would happen. Absolutely. You know the rules would kick in. Mm-hmm. So you see, going to get a book from a major publisher or these famous names that have always been published on UFOs, um, it's no different than turning on your television. It really isn't. And people need to, <laughs> right. people need to understand that. It's a bit like following InfoWars and thinking that you are truly getting secret conspiratorial information when what you're getting is a gatekeeper, a guy who was placed there to put the conspiratorial flavor out that attracts the conspiracy community and then steer it in whichever direction it needs to go at at that moment. A lot of people have been accusing Alex Jones of being something more than he appears to be, and... You know, I, I don't know. He says a lot of good things, and he says some things that really bothers me, so I've always just kind of Well, taken... I mean, that's, that's what they're there for. They, they walk right up to the line with that information that everyone's dying to hear, and they hang their toes over the edge of the pool, and then they shovel BS all over you. You cannot be on the air with a massive audience and not be subject to the rules of those who control the doors. TV is that way. Movies are that way magazines are that way there is you know we were just talking about how many countries are co-opted well how could so many countries be co-opted and people could still consider that there's a publisher out there that's free of it that there's a tv station you know i i so often hear people say well pbs pbs is still good well i beg to differ it is not um and you can actually go back and look at pbs in the 80s and track it forward and you can see uh, the morph. I mean, the same thing is true of National Geographic magazine. There was a time when it was published in a wholly different way. Not that it was free of the system we're talking about, but as we come to the modern era, the shackles are really locking everything down. I mean, by the time we get to the 24-hour news cycle, that is cable news that has damaged us, so desperately damaged us, you have to understand that Anyone with a large audience of any kind is going to be subject to the rules of the ruling class, or they're not going to play. And there's no way Alex Jones is getting a pass. There's no way Coast to Coast is getting a pass. Any of these places are subject to the rules of the gatekeepers that control the airways and the information lanes. And those are the richest among us. Yeah, it seems like Art Bell kind of set the like the whole story going in, in the 90s when he, he started all this and everyone just kind of followed suit after that. Like, hey, someone can talk about these subjects and then, you know, you get up to today where everybody's trying to do the same thing, but we don't have the benefit of a giant network putting it out there like he does, did. Well, I, I mean, look at the last clip up on my YouTube channel. Uh, I open up with an email that I got. Uh, I was on AM Radio 630, which, by the way, InfoWars is on every day in this country, every single day, talk radio, AM 630, and I was interviewed. And callers called in, and we did our little thing. Now, I called or emailed about a week later saying, hey, hey, man, I can't find the show in the archive. Could you please link me because I'd like to run it on my YouTube channel, which is typically what I do when I have an interview, or at least part of it. I get an email back saying, hey, man, it looks like someone recorded over the archive file, and I'm sent a link. So this 
hour, hour and a half file is now a few minutes, and clearly someone had opened it up, opened a mic, recorded over it, and saved again. Well, that's not the end of the story. Come to find out, uh, a few days after we find out what happened to the archive file, that the two guys running the show that interviewed me were told by their station manager to quit talking about things like false flags, Sandy Hook, 9-11, um, the lunar wave, quit talking about these things. And when they stood up and said, we could talk about what they want, their show was shut down. <laughs> so this is exactly what we're talking about. Do you think it is possible, or, or look at it like this, we know what Sandy Hook was. It was a staged event. No one was killed. No one died. No one was hurt. And that is true of oodles of the gun violence made up for TV things we have seen. Now go over to Alex Jones and see what he has to say about 9-11. Will he tell you that 2,500 people or whatever it was were killed at 9-11 or at Sandy Hook? You see, he can't be on the air and say that. He cannot be on the air and say that Sandy Hook was a complete ruse and that no one was killed. And that instantly identifies him for what and who he is. Um, I'm not sure what his stance is on that. I know he's had someone on who's heavily investigated it, but... I think the jury's still out as far as, you know, what they say. Well, I mean, it's simple. We know what they're doing. These are crisis actors. These are quite often drills that are held by Lord knows who, Department of Homeland Security, or um, we see a lot of unincorporated areas, which means the sheriffs would be involved. Although we see some things in cities like L.A., where that's an incorporated police department. But we know what they're doing. It's been ad nauseum shown that these drills will be held with crisis actors, and then the result of filming that will be played off as a real event where people were injured. And what we have come to know is that nobody is being injured, nobody is dying because it's a completely staged event. And 9-11 was no different, but what makes 9-11 difficult is the saying no one was hurt at 9-11 is problematic because they did a controlled demolition of two buildings. So it's hard to know how many people may have been injured, how many firemen may have been injured in the cleanup. Um, it's hard to know these things, but it's been pretty much demonstrated that the, the occupancy of those buildings was down to next to nothing, that the buildings themselves appear to have been built with this controlled de demolition in mind, you see. But if you go to any on-air or TV source for this information, they will never be allowed to say that no one was killed or no one was hurt. And while 9-11 is problematic, because they did demo two very large buildings in the middle of a city, take Sandy Hook, take the Boston bombing. If you hear someone say no one was injured in these events, you know who they are. By the same token, if you hear them riding the fence and they're on the air, you know who they are. Right. And I think there's a lot of good research that's been done on that and it does get out but there still seems to be a controlling factor once they try and get it out there well i mean it's gotten to such a fever pitch that nearly every week of every month we see a false crisis event um i, I would imagine that the powers to be do everything they can to not allow anyone with any kind of an audience to say the things that get said on youtube every day you know it's a far cry from me having 50,000 subscribers and maybe 10 to 15% of my traffic comes from those subs. So how many people am I actually talking to on a video? Maybe 10,000 and I'm saying, you know, these are staged faked events and nobody's heard. 
anyone with an audience that goes to say that, you better believe that the control, you know, is going to come to bear on those people. We even see it on YouTube with the smaller audiences. And, uh, you know, look at the flat earth argument. It's become such a loud argument that even the mainstream is responding to that now to try to make it seem just like a silly camp of crazy people who, you know, don't have a clue. Right. And it seems like they, even, for instance, the flat earth, that is also being used as a means of more divide and conquer. Of course. Yeah, I mean, there are tons of people in the flat earth community contributing so much good information, challenging the description of the very place we live, and yet this is an organization that's been around a couple hundred years, and it's clearly been sitting there waiting to be a disinformation source at the same time by those, you know, kind of trolling elements that get into every conversation online and muddy the waters and start the fights. But nonetheless, there are still individuals out there pushing the boundaries and kicking the walls down. The people in the flat earth community are critically important and they're not crazy. There's nothing wrong with challenging something that a textbook told you was absolutely true. I do it every day. Um, we should all do it every day. We should learn to think for ourselves. So the very idea that just because someone wants to make the argument that the earth is flat makes them a crazy person in, in itself is a form of control and disinformation. Right. Now, tying this all into what you've discovered with the lunar wave and all that, do you even have a picture in the works of what might actually be going on here? Well, the basic thing is I think it's pretty clear that we have learned a number of things that are, well, not 100% certain, uh, damn likely in my estimation. The first of those things is the moon is not a rock in space. Um, the second of those things is that the sun and moon are much closer to us than we have been told. The third of those things is, is there seems to be some kind of a boundary that prevents man or machine from going above what we call low Earth orbit. So while that doesn't answer too directly, I think what you're asking me, it, it is quite a bit more than we needed 10 years ago. Right. Well, I'm just trying to get at the fact that a lot of people are doing this research and they seem to be coming up with very similar ideas that, hey, this something about what we think of the nature of the universe is not correct. That's right. And, you know, for the interim, it's just going to have to come down to all, all these people who are doing the effort to keep pounding away at it. And as time goes by, hopefully the picture will be redrawn and emerge as more accurate. Um, and that's part of why I don't jump into the flat earth, because so many people are ready to bust out the new map. And I just don't think it's that easy. I don't think we're going to get a new definition of our place in the scheme of things overnight. I think it's going to be hard won, and I think it's going to take a lot of effort. But that does not diminish that what they are doing is a very important thing. No, it's, it's we must keep challenging the, the standard that's out there right now. Absolutely. And I don't think any of us have the complete picture yet. I think that just that pushing the envelope is what we need to keep doing. Now, my big question that um, I don't really know if anybody could answer this, but is it to the point now that someone could build a rocket that could put a camera on it? I'm talking about like the average person. Could they get the tools necessary to actually get a camera into orbit? Well, I mean, I think you're assuming that orbit is a possible thing. Um, yeah, I think that probably we do have the technology. And not too long ago, I saw a clip that was claimed to be the highest amateur rocket shot ever. I think the claim was 73 miles. 
very curious piece of footage. Um, the rocket was spinning. It had a, a camera on the outside of it. But it gets up to the claimed 73 miles, and you hear this little boop, and it stops going forward and stops spinning. It starts falling almost like it hit something. And while I don't know how authentic that footage is, it's a very interesting piece of footage, I would mention that there is a limit on rocket engines. You have to be licensed to get up to a certain rocket engine for all these reasons. And in my view, yeah, there's probably rocket engines that could be used to get up high enough to really do some damage to the construct we've been handed. Um, but, you know, you've got a question. Really, we can't go out to the desert with amateur rocketry without being licensed to shoot these rockets up because of all these supposed dangers and, you know, national security or, you know, all, all the things they put in front of you. Um, Look into that if you're interested. If you're listening to this thing and you're interested, I've forgotten J8 or M-sized rockets. I looked up, I don't know, two, two, three months ago, I was looking at at what point do you have to be licensing and getting permission to get these sized rocket engines. But if you look into that, it'll really give you a bit of insight into what amateurs could do and what they're allowed to do. And I'm pretty certain that if you tried to do this, it would more than likely be shut down. Someone would show up from some agency with several letters, and just, that's it. It's not going to happen. Well, I mean, even if you pulled it off, then there's the problem of getting the footage out to the world. I mean, YouTube right now owns video because they say to everyone in this world, come give me your video for free and we'll run it. We don't care how long it is. We don't care anything. Just give us your video. You will be subject to all the silliness and rules and censorship and data mining and all the things that go on on YouTube, but it allows them to pretty much, for the most part, control that video market. Uh, this is a big part of what I'm trying to accomplish with my podcast website, where I will be serving my own video. And the problem to this day is it's not cheap to serve your own video. No, it's you not. Know, you do a podcast and it's voice only. The average person could do that, but as soon as you do video, it gets expensive quick. Right, yeah, because of the bandwidth that's needed. That's the claim. I mean, but come on, YouTube's doing the whole world for free, so, uh, you know, is this just more false construct? Is this an artificially manipulated marketplace? I think so. Oh, I totally think so. I mean, they've got to keep control somehow. Yeah. So what is it you want to challenge on your podcast what what are you going to be presenting on there that's going to be different than the youtube channel well for the most part i'll be able to say anything i want people need to realize that for almost a year and a half i have not been able to say or show anything i want for fear of having my channel attacked with strikes or shut down and i've got thousands of hours of filming and video production on that channel and so you know you can ask anyone running a youtube channel that's challenging things how nervous they are all the time. So the main thing about running my own site is there will be nothing that is off the table. I can run anything, show anything, talk about anything, but what's even more critical to me is to have that membership over on my private website that's interested in what's going on, that wants to have the adult conversation and take it further, free of the kind of troll, threatening environment that YouTube has become with censorship and, you know, people in Pakistan putting strikes on your channel, um, you know, it's, it goes on and on and on. So the, those are the main goals, is to have a free speech atmosphere where we can try to push the ball further down the field, um, free of all the constructs that is YouTube. And what challenges have you come up against on YouTube already? 
Well, I mean, there's been a number of times when I have been in the middle of an upload and I've been notified that there is music that may be copywritten in the back or somewhere in my clip. And a number of times, for the life of me, I couldn't figure out what that was. So I re-edited. A couple times I was aware um, of what it was, and I said, okay, I have to remove this. I have had strikes put against me. I have had to claim fair use. And I finally got a partnership with one of these places that controls the ads because the real problem with the average for the average person on YouTube is there is nowhere to send an email when places like uh, what's it called AdSense, you know, when they do things to you, there's nowhere to send an email, no person to talk to. It is the ultimate version of taxation without representation, the idea of that with what goes on and everyone's pretty sure that AdSense is actually Google. So what I did is I partnered with a company that has direct access to Google and AdSense. And that has insulated me, but nonetheless, I'm still subject to the rules. And if I run the wrong piece of NASA footage, most of it's supposed to be copyright-free, but not all of it is. If I run the wrong footage, I'm back in the same place I ever was where a copyright strike will come. Or for that matter, if some other user on YouTube takes umbrage with me, they can file claims against me just because they feel like it. And these are things you have to deal with. And it's all just very kind of frustrating when you take into account the amount of time it takes to get the video, edit the video, and upload the video in the first place. To have to deal with all this other stuff on the back end is just, it's a bridge too far. Now that's very interesting about NASA having copyrighted videos. What material are they copywriting compared to what everything else is free use? Well, you see, it's a funny thing. If you go in, anyone could go look it up. It says, like, if you go to Wiki Commons is one of the places I think you can read this, or the NASA website. It says, the majority of NASA images and video are copyright-free and may be used by the public, and yes, unless otherwise stated. Well, that's the rub, because you get videos and images from everywhere, and it's not always clear whether you're grabbing... NASA footage that falls under the big envelope of anyone can use it, or whether it's that other footage. And I have actually found footage that is other footage. As a matter of fact, I went to publish the transcript of the supposed Apollo astronauts talking about the Jade Rabbit in the 60s, which China wasn't going to do in the modern era. But I was covering that transcript conversation. Come to find out, it's illegal to reprint it in any form. So I had got ready to publish this, found out that it was copyright protected, and I had to go back into the clip, remake it, and change everything into my words that I was trying to cover in the transcript. So that's one example. That's really interesting. So they just put out a blanket statement, but not any specifics. So in case you hit on something they don't want being used, they could just say, oh, well, no, you can't. There it is. It's the catch-22. Yeah. Everything's copyright-free except for what isn't. And by the way, good luck trying to figure out exactly what that is. Huh. What about other space agencies, for instance, uh, the Russian space agency? Well, if you're asking me about copyright, uh, I'm not sure. But if you're asking me about where they are in the scheme of things, they're in the same club. In the same way that China is on the moon now lying to us, saying they are on the moon with a rover... It is the same game that was played with Apollo, and it's the same club. In terms of copyright, I'm not sure how all that works. I wasn't sure if they'd ever done the same thing where they claimed, like, oh, you can't use our material. You know, it doesn't seem like it because recently the Chinese were caught red-handed passing off 
footage claiming Chinese astronauts in space, and it was very quickly shown that it was shot in a pool because of all the bubbles in the footage. Yeah, I've seen that one. Um, so you would think if they had the copyright thing to fall on, they would have been pressing that. <laughs> no, I saw that, and I was just like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, that's so no, obvious. No, it goes on and on. If few people understand that that one big pool, I forget where it is. It is in Russia. I don't know where it is. I've forgotten. But the big pool that has the mock-up of the ISS in it, there's a massive green screen in that pool. And if you look hard enough, you can actually find images where you get little glimpses. But what's funny about that pool is about 90% of the images you see of that pool are shot with a fisheye lens. It's a funny, funny thing. Very interesting. Now, as far as uh, people who have been in the public eye who have been involved with the space agencies, do they get screened for security backgrounds like for instance is anybody who's going to be involved or speak on tv or anything like that has anyone ever done any research to see if you know basically they're spooks yeah i don't know um at some level you would imagine they'd have to be because they have to stay on the party line but i have always maintained that there are plenty of good people raising families having kids like all the rest of us working at nasa that don't have an inkling of what's going on above their pay grade. They may even be designing the next rocket. And for them, that's what they're doing. They're doing the best they can to design this rocket that they've been handed as a job. But they don't know above their pay grade. They don't know what's going on. They're right. just like anyone else. They either choose to accept what they've been handed or not. But you bring up a valid point. I mean, is that guy that goes on camera all the time, does he have to be in the know? I don't know. But you know damn well he has to stay on message. Right, especially astronauts. I mean, we had, what, three decades worth of shuttle astronauts. Now, they That's supposedly... Right. There's, there's no doubt. They're complicit. They have to be, um, because they haven't gone to space, you see. Well, that's what so, I'm questioning. they have to be actors. Right. So if, if what we're conjecturing here is indeed true, then the people who have gone into space, or say they have, they have to be involved in some way, shape, or form. I, I would say anyone who's, you know, in that kind of a position, you know, we've seen... Ad nauseum, the evidence shown of the ISS, um, you know, being a fraud and the people that are supposedly in space on the ISS, all the problems with the weightless environment, the clips that were shot on the vomit comet using a plane with a parabolic arc, the kung fu wiring systems, the women hung upside down so their hair will go straight up, the permed hair, so in a weightless environment, they've got this concrete hair sticking straight up that doesn't move. It's all been shown, but... You know, you just pointed it out. When you look at that individual, what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that they know they're lying. They have to be. You know, they're claiming they're in space and they're not. So there's really no no black or white you know, or gray area here. It's black or white. Either they know or they don't. They're claiming they're in space, yet we've proven they're not. So that has to be a liar. And it seems like things may have been different years ago. For instance, the mysterious fire that, that wiped out the original Apollo astronaut crew with Gus Grissom. People were reporting back then that he seemed not confident at all that the technology was going to work. And then all of a sudden, the three of them are killed. Yeah, but I mean, we have the same problem. So where did all that, you know, it's like, it's a bit like the thing on Mars where all these people come to me and say, well, look, look at all these images of Mars. See, it's not right. Well, where did you get those images? Same place with the Gus Grissom story. You got that data from NASA. So from the very onset of receiving the information or the image or the video, you've received it from a place that is clearly lying, that is clearly muddying the waters everywhere they can, diverting attention everywhere they can. 
So, I mean, we can't accept it. We can't accept anything that comes out of that place as something worth considering. We just have to throw it away. Have you ever seen the uh, documentary by Bart Sorrell, Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Moon? I have. I saw it quite some time ago. He conjectures that obviously we didn't go to the moon, and his damning piece of evidence is uh, he said that they sent him an unedited reel where it's time-stamped, and I've watched this multiple times and shown it to other people just to get an opinion because it is mildly disturbing. It seems like they are in Earth orbit because they're on camera making a statement about their distance, but then it seems like when they move the camera that indeed there's the light of the Earth coming up into the capsule. So. Yeah. That was the one that really got me, and I saw that years ago when it first came out, and, and it, that really bothered me because I grew up wanting to be an astronaut as a little kid and just loving everything to do with space. And then as I'm getting older and learning all these things, it's like, it's very disheartening. It's, yeah, it's heartbreaking, you me, really. You and me both. When I got my first really good telescope in the mid-90s, I spent, I can't tell you how many endless hours trying to use a film camera to replicate the Hubble images. You know, and it's, it is. It's a sad day when you look back and realize what a waste of time all that was that you have been lied to. Um, I mean, it's provable beyond the shadow of a doubt that we did not go to the moon, that what we have been handed as evidence of that is all fraud. Um, there was a guy who's got a website up. He's a PhD in Ukraine that used the parallax method that flat out shows where the description of the image says this mountain range in the background is five kilometers away. Well, he used the parallax method, showed you the formula he used, which means it can be replicated any day of the week, named the images that he used that were provided by NASA as astronaut taken moonshots, and he showed that it's 500 meters to that set piece back there. And not only that, he used parallax across the whole thing. These are just one small piece in an endless line of things. I mean, and that even, if you choose to throw out the fact that for some reason, the most important thing man has ever done, go to the moon, we are told, there's no original footage. Somehow NASA lost that. It's a bit like the, the Nixon Watergate tapes. Oops, we recorded over them on accident. You know, it, it, I mean, really, can you look at that with a serious eye and consider that that's even a possible thing? Um, we did not go to the moon. So the question becomes, um, were we lied to for some specific reason, um, or is it about control, just keeping us in the dark about where, our, you know, what we, where we really are and what's really above our head? I remember when they announced that they had lost the tapes, and I was like, come on, really? I mean, that's just the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard, and this is before I really started heavily researching this. I mean, to look at Buzz Aldrin, I mean, there's documented cases of him continually coming back to sell for 175 grand or something this quarter or this thing that he took into space. Really? Is that what an Apollo astronaut, an American hero does? Is that really what a serious spaceman does? Is every once in a while whips out this thing that supposedly went to space with him and sells it to some poor person for a buttload of money. <laughs> it's, it's all a construct. And, and you know, even if you, there, there's been videos done where people have gone out to confront the astronauts. Um, there's even footage of one of them not understanding what the Van Allen belts were or whether they even went through it. Right. And on top of that, I did a clip 
when it was announced, I don't know, a year ago or something about this new Van Allen belt that was discovered that was described as a glass wall in space. Really? Apollo went through the Van Allen belts numerous times, so how can they be discovering anything new about the Van Allen belts? It's, it's all a charade. It's a construct. Now, just out of curiosity, do you have any conjecture on what exactly they may be hiding out in space? Because I've had my own personal experiences, and like I've seen, uh, for lack of a better term, UFOs. I've seen them with my own eyes. So I've always conjectured that perhaps they're seeing more things out there than they want the average person to know. Well, I think at the base of it, we can know, or in my view, we can know that what we've been told space is, is a lie. And so we really don't know anything about it. So at the very base of things, it's completely being unaware of what is out there. And that opens the door to a lot of things. But I would point out, if you go to my channel, I have an endless line of just strange objects transiting the moon, in cam trails, all over the place. But I have never made the leap to say, I call them UFOs because you kind of have to so people can understand what you're looking at. But I have never been able to draw the line to aliens. There is nothing about any of these things, with the exception of one or two, that is so amazing that I can't just attribute it to terrestrial technology. And so in this kind of high-definition age, I would imagine that if there were alien things all around, they'd be getting shot. You know, people have cameras all over this place. Um, I've shot some amazing things. I shot a orb, what we call an orb in a chemtrail, firing like a plasma beam twice into a chemtrail. And, you know, if that doesn't come as close to what the heck is that, I don't know what will, but still at the end of the day, for me, it's not enough to say that's alien. Um, I, I start with that has to be terrestrial technology um, for the simple reason that we are pretty high tech in the scheme of things, and I think that it is possible that people could create what I am shooting. Do you think the technology is getting to the point for on the consumer level that we're going to get video that's so precise that we're going to be able to, to really just blow it up to the point that we can see highly detailed objects and actually start figuring this out. Maybe. I mean, there's always that possibility, but at the same time, you know, look at infrared technology for the longest time. You know, I did get a full spectrum camera, full spectrum camera, but it's not the same as having a really good infrared camera that is just made for that. Um, Back in, I think the seventies, they changed the laws. So actually, if you go and get your hands on technology that was made back then, I am told some of it is much better than anything we can get now because the rules changed. So, yeah, we see some good cameras coming out, but, I mean, you've always got to wonder, will they be limited by design um, to prevent us from being able to show just the kind of false constructs we've been handed? I'm not sure. Right, that's exactly what I'm curious about, because obviously every year newer and better cameras are coming out, but is it going to get capped at some point? And if so, is it going to be noticeable? Are people like you going to be like, hey, something's not right here? Yeah, I think, you know, but the problem with with that as a blanket statement is we already have telescopes that will do a hell of a job. You know, the bigger the scope, the more sharper the image. I think the real breakthroughs would come shooting in the IR and ultraviolet spectrums just on either side of the sliver of visual light that we see. And again, this is where you can 
go look and see where they put limits because it would interfere with military applications and all this other BS they lay on us. There is no doubt in my mind that if you could get good enough IR and UV equipment, you'd be punching holes in a lot of things. Now, say, for instance, you could get permission to go to one of these giant scopes, say, at a university or something like that, and take your camera equipment with you. What do you think you would find differently than doing it on the one you have at your home? This is a good question. I guess I've never really considered that. I have looked through the 27-inch scope in Flagstaff that supposedly discovered Pluto. Um, hell of a nice scope, optical scope. Um, a lot of the big scopes are not optical, but if I had a shot at, say, you know, a 30-plus foot optical scope, I would point that thing at the moon straight away, and I'm not sure what I would find because, um, well, for one thing, here, here's something to consider. One of the party lines we're told is that there is no terrestrial scope that can see anything bigger than like a mile and a half. And that's a flat out lie. And you'll see different numbers from this. Sometimes it's a half a mile or a mile. I have owned telescopes that will see smaller things than that. Um, but if you consider some of the massive scopes that dawned on me one day, they could shoot the supposed remnants of the Apollo, say the buggy tracks. There's supposedly seven miles worth of buggy tracks up there. Mm -hmm. So I maintain that we have telescopes that would be big enough to show that, and yet we are still told to this day that terrestrial scopes don't have the resolution to do it, and that sets aside the whole Hubble quandary where you know Hubble could clearly show us anything, and we were told it couldn't forever, and then finally they produced fake images that were proven fake overnight when a guy took the resolution required to image Pluto with Hubble and demonstrated that the images had been falsified when they shot the supposed shadows of things from Apollo on the moon with the Hubble. Oh, and the tipped over. Of course, the American flag was tipped over, naturally. <laughs> we're in a post-9-11 world, so, you know, that flag has got to be in the dirt. That's kind of what I'm getting at, though. Could you get access to a scope that could blow holes in, in these stories pretty much immediately? I think with money, you could. You'd have to do it on your own. Um, over the course of my YouTube career, I've spoken with a lot of people. There was a point early on, well, maybe a year and a half or two into the lunar wave discussion where people were contacting me. But I had three people that contacted me that claimed previous employment and one current employment at a large telescope facility somewhere, and each of them had said that we are not allowed to point the telescope at the moon unless we are told to and given coordinates to do so. And I found this funny because, as I mentioned, I looked through the 27-inch optical scope in Flagstaff that Lowell was said to have discovered Pluto with, and they were shooting the moon that night, and there were about... 20 people in line, and we'd all gone through and seen this one crater with, like, a little mountain in it, and we all said, okay, what can we see next? And they said, nope, this is what we're looking at tonight. And we were all like, no, come on, we've all seen this. Let's look at something else. And they were like, nope, this is what we're looking at tonight. And so when I heard from the three people who claimed they were either currently or had been working uh, tell me that, it really rang some bells because, of course, if I can film the lunar wave – that every observatory in existence has to have some kind of a control mechanism on it, doesn't it? And I think that comes down to funding, but, I mean, there it is. Are there uh, universities or just telescope facilities out there that are doing more professionally what you do, and that's just have hours and hours and hours of footage just going constantly? 
I would imagine, um, and it begs, you know, it, it really makes you wonder why, why is it only nine people on YouTube have lunar wave footage? We've demonstrated that it's likely you could shoot these things at the equinoxes. Um, we, we've done it more than once on nine different systems now. Why is it that no observatory has filmed this? And the funny thing is, for a while, the Google definition that was offered up was that it was a naturally occurring atmospheric thing. And my response was, really? Anything natural that can be filmed should have been described a long time ago. Show me the footage. So, I mean, there it is. There's observatories out there that are presumably filming the moon a lot, looking at the moon a lot. So where is that observatory-based lunar wave footage? My suggestion to you would be, since you're the one who um, kind of is the champion of this entire phenomena, would be to start a community through your podcast and try and network to get to people who work at these facilities and see if you can get folks to start discussing it like, hey, I work here and this is what I've seen, or you never know, they may be able to get access to actual footage. You're right, and I have done that very thing. I did it on my channel. Um, at one point, I posted uh, some lunar wave footage, and I said, hey, all you people following me, you know, there's a lot of observatories. Uh, there's, I don't know, at the time, 20 or 30,000 people following me. Some of you must live near observatories, ping your local observatory, and ask them about this and inquire, you know, and do this. And a bunch of people did. Um, and for the most part, nobody got a response. There was one response, and I think it was Norway or somewhere in that part of the world was the only response that we got back. Um, and it was a very short kind of terse response that said, clearly this is atmosphere, period. You know, no real effort put into it. But, you know, you make a good point. Maybe it's time to do that again. Well, I would conjecture that there's got to be other people who have a passion for astronomy like you do who works at a facility like this. They, and if so, then even if they haven't seen it yet, this has got to at least pique their interest and, you know, something must be able to be done about this. It, it, it just must be. I guess I would tend to agree with you, um, but then there's always the problem of people being afraid of losing their jobs. But nonetheless, I think that... that you have a good idea, and maybe it's time that we try that again. Right. Even if there's a way you could perhaps uh, have an open forum where people could discuss, because e even if those people directly don't come out, people who know other people who know other people, like you may be able to start putting links together, you know? That's right, and I will have that private forum on my podcast website. There will be a comment section, which is private from the open Internet, so that would be a good place for someone who's a bit nervous to be able to come in under an alias and say the things they'd like to say. And, of course, what always happens when you start getting onto something real, you start getting pushback from, let's just say, other mysterious forces, things happening. <laughs> right. You know, and I don't know how much of that you've experienced, but a lot of people do report when they hit onto something, you know, weird things start happening like, like you described with the radio station, you know, the information getting erased. Yeah, I, I mean, you're right. We are kind of coming to a time where I think that even professional people um, who are concerned about keeping their jobs, there may be a lot of them out there who are really interested in talking about real things, true things, challenging these false assumptions we've been handed. So I, I totally agree with your assessment. Now, obviously the moon was a lot of the focus. About the other spatial bodies that are supposed to be in our solar system, What's the the theory behind that on what you've seen? Is there anything lo lunar wave-like that's been spotted that I'm not aware of? 
No, um, there was a period of time when I was filming Jupiter, and I kept getting occasional blue frames when I shot stills. And so then I started to shoot video, and I would come back from time to time, and the video would bleed over to blue. The problem with that was, is I am not enough of a camera expert to guarantee that it's not somehow connected to how the CCD chip is collecting color and rendering it out, but I shot for years and never saw any of this, shooting Jupiter and all the other planets, and so that was a strange thing. But at the base of what we know of the planets, um, for my money, we cannot accept the constructs who've been handed through NASA and these other kind of fraudulent space agencies and the space telescope places and the European Space Agency, all these places that I consider fraudulent, what we can know is that we're looking at light. And that's just a starting point. That's where we work from. What I'd really like to know more about, and I don't know how we're gonna, we would do this, but there's obvious Saturn symbolism intertwined throughout the thousands of years of reported human history. And what, what is it about the planet Saturn that is so significant? You see, I, I think when people begin to answer questions like this in more than just a deductive way or a well-reasoned out way, when we finally start to get to some solid answers, that it will play into where we actually are and what we call space one thing. But when we begin to actually get good information about what that actually is, I think maybe we'll, we'll have a better view of, of things like this, these memes that clearly go through and... You know, in, 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 when we consider Saturn, it's it's always kind of connected to Satanism and, you know, the Black Cube and the mm-hmm. Vatican and all these places where people have kind of reasoned out that they're seeing these things. But the problem is, is we're without context. You know, what does this mean, as you're asking here, on the bigger context? Why is there a thing in the sky called Saturn that relates to all this? I just don't think we have the answers yet. Obviously, it has to have some sort of significance, though, because just like you said, all the symbolism does tie together, and it seems like there's a huge missing piece, though. What is it about this planetary body that it's more than what it appears to be, and why is it so significant to the elite? Why is the Mystery Babylon religion wrapped around this, and what does it really mean? Well, there's no doubt, you know, that much effort does not get expended on something that has no value. Right. That's, That's a given. Anything that has a lot of effort thrown at it clearly has value. And, you know, at the base of things, they are deceiving us about our place in the scheme of things, so it will almost certainly play into that, where it's information that gives them the upper hand. Uh, A lot of people seem to feel that it's very dark information that the average person wouldn't want to associate with. Um, I'm just not sure what to make of it yet. It's clearly there. It's clearly entwined through our entire history. Um, but why? That's that's a question that needs answering. Without a doubt, it's significant. And I don't see... I see a lot of people putting out information, but a lot of times it's the same information. And I don't see anyone really getting to the heart of the matter and exposing something groundbreaking involving it. But it, it has to be. like there, there has to be something massively significant about it. Yeah, I, I would imagine you're correct. Um, there are a lot of people who have done good work drawing the lines, showing the symbolism, but at the base of it, it doesn't tell us what it's actually representing. It doesn't correlate, you know, what is Saturn, the thing we look at in the sky? What is that light up there with the rings on it? Um, it just doesn't correlate back. But I think we're moving in that direction. And for my money, we're kind of in an era of awakening. I think that we will make strides to get beyond kind of the logical deductive 
things that we can find out and begin to tie them to more real-world, matter-of-fact things. Do you think there's any substance to things that people have put out about Saturn? For instance, there is the uh, the scientist who put out the book Ringmakers of Saturn, uh, where he was taking images from, from the Voyager series and discussing uh, UFO phenomenon out there. Do you think there's any significance to that, or do you think that's just more fakery? No. Um, in my view, the only place that we have imagery like that to look at is, is from the space agencies. So out of hand, it has to be thrown away. You can't accept, you know, if you're in the court of law as a private citizen and you lie and you get caught, the court will throw out all your testimony and will no, accept no more testimony moving forward. You see, you have to hold these official agencies to the same standard you are held to. If you know that you are being lied to regularly, how can you accept any of this imagery? And for my money, you have never in your lifetime seen a real picture, snapshot, taken in space of anything. And in my view, no, everything you've seen that is a real image was taken from a terrestrial-based scope. And I don't believe that people, machines, or anything else goes by the hard, fast, fast boundary that is what we call low Earth orbit. Now, I did my own little bit of research, and I'm not a photography expert or video expert or anything like that. But I did something very, very simple. I went and looked at all of the NASA footage of pictures of Earth and video of Earth from Mercury on up to today. And the thing that I walked away from that with is the Earth looks different. It doesn't look consistent from time period, like from the early 60s to the mid-60s to the 70s to on up. Right. The Earth does not look the same, and I don't know why that would be. So, I mean, what, what was your conclusion? Are you looking at real images that were snapped in space of this supposed planet? That's my question. What am I seeing here, and why does it look different? You're looking at a construct. If you look, one thing you should do when you're doing uh, research like that is look at the description that NASA is handing you of the images because words have meaning. And quite often the truth is couched in descriptions where the average person doesn't look at it in the right context and thinks they're looking at a snapshot from space and they're viewing the descriptive information in that way. If you snap yourself back to reality and challenge, is this in fact a snapshot from space and then read the description, you will find that quite often they tell you the truth about the images. This is telemetry data. This is a mosaic. This is a construct. This is an artist's rendering. It's been demonstrated wholesale that the image that we all grew up with in our textbooks, I think Apollo 17 shot that supposed picture of Earth from space. Yes. It's been shown endlessly that that was not a real snapshot image, that it was a construct, and that it's been used over and over. Flipped, new cloud patterns put on it. Everything under the sun has been done to that image. Um, I don't know how many, you know, I don't, I don't know how other to address this than to say, in my view, there are... All right, everyone, I don't know what happened there. The line just dropped. So we're going to go back to what Crow was saying about uh, no composites of the Earth seem to have been real. And uh, carry on, Crow. Yeah, I mean, I was in the middle of saying when the phone dropped out from under us that, in my view, uh, no machine has gone into what we call space and that you have never seen an image of a distant planet taken from space, from a rover, from a passing supposed satellite, 
or of this planet. And people should logically deduce, I say this over and over and over, we're living in the high def age. Why is it that we don't have endless images of our planet? Maybe a 24 hour live feed and people will say, oh, well, the ISS gives us this and the other things. But I would point out those videos have been shown to be fraud uh, quite often when you're looking at the uh, feed from the ISS or another satellite. Anyone who's been to art school can, can apply this. When you see the Earth spinning by underneath, perspective is wrong. When you see clouds and the distance between clouds, and by the way, there's almost always tons of cloud cover, and it's almost always over water, very rarely over land. The distance between clouds at the, when you're looking at something far away should be close together, and as it gets closer to you, it should slow a bit and the distance should widen. This is not what we see, and there have been quite a few artists and other people who have shown those videos are just constructs. So again, for the record, you have never, in my view, seen any image, any snapshot or camera footage that was taken from what we call space of anything. That's pretty much what I came up with when I was looking at images myself. I mean, I don't know what's going on, and I don't, I don't make any assumptions. I'm only looking at facts. Things of the Earth looked different to me, and I, why would that be? You know, it's it's a funny thing. I, I was considering at one point why the inner planets that we're presented with are rocky and the outer ones are gas, and one day it dawned on me. Um, it's so funny. If you consider taking a picture of, say, Mars, which is a rocky planet, that has to resemble, you know, what we're looking at over and over and over. Every time it's imaged, every time it's seen, it has to look similar to that first original shot. And I've actually done a video that shows people like Percival Lowell saw what they call canals and there were a few people who were totally drawing images spending years illustrating this whole other mars that we no longer see and then after their death that was all swept under the rug but if you consider the gas planets they're gas so every time you see them they can look a little bit different and no one's going to blink an eye and i think that's probably part of the construct what do you make of this uh, announcement uh, i think it was last week that they found another gas giant planet way out yonder yeah, sure they did. <laughs> I just don't accept any of it. Um, you know, I, I did a big clip on, you know, why the Pluto flyby was all fraud, and I tied it to the Disney creating the Pluto character, cartoon character, and the little 11, you know, she had to be 11, 11-year-old girl who supposedly named the planet Pluto, and that had nothing to do with Disney. Um, I, I drew all those lines, and, of course, Newsweek and all these other places had a field day with that. Um, it's just none of it's real. You know, you're, you're getting information from people whose mission it is to ensure you know nothing about what is above what you can see. Right. And, of course, the uh, the folks who are really into the whole pl- concept of Planet X and Nibiru, that was like, oh, see, we told you this is real. Yeah, I get it. You know, that's probably why that construct was built. Um, just this morning I was getting more, you know, messages about Nibiru or the Anunnaki, and no, I don't accept any of it. Um, these are things that are always seem to be on their way and never get here. And that should be <laughs> people's first clue um, to the validity of it. And the other thing is, we have some pretty good telescopes and amateur hands these days, so, you know, why the heck don't we have images? It's a bit like all the people who want to come to my channel over and over and claim that there's structures on the moon. Well, really, you see, if I was out tonight, and I shot a structure on the moon. 
tomorrow after the video that I made on it was released, there were going to be thousands of people all over this world trying to image what I imaged. Sure. So if there's structures on the moon, you know, show me the footage. It just doesn't exist. What do you make of the uh, material that Jay Widener has put out? Uh, I know mm-hmm. he has discussed what Hoagland has found, and claims to have found with the glass structures, but he says it's uh, fakery, that it's, it's uh, front screen projection. Movie techniques. Okay, so I guess I'm not. I don't. I don't surf the internet a lot, um, and I don't really watch TV or news or anything. So if I hear you correctly, Mr. Weidner is demonstrating that what Hoagland is claiming is real. It is not. Right, Jay Weidner's big um, conjecture, and I, I find this very interesting. But there's no solid proof of it, and he even he admits that that uh, Stanley Kubrick was behind the faking of the Apollo moon landings. Um, well, I think from a logical standpoint, that's that's probably where any reasonable person would land. If you look at the timelines, you know, here's a funny thing. In the original 2001, which is the movie that people have researched assume is where the technology and the skill to film the fake moon landing was put in place. Um, In the original movie, there were all these credits to NASA. When you watch that movie now, those have all been lifted. But I recently saw this thing. uh, Kubrick did another movie that was a period piece. Gosh, I wish I could remember the title. Um, I think it's a person's name. Uh, anyhow, it's a period piece, and he wanted to do this crazy photorealistic thing, but he was using the special lens that NASA gave him, and it's not common knowledge. When you look at all the links between Kubrick and NASA and you know the, the video or the clip 237 that was produced to try to show how he encoded his involvement, in the uh, NASA fraud. I think it's a reasonable thing to consider. But to get back to Mr. Wiedner, I think he's absolutely right. In my view, what Richard Hoagland has done, who incidentally was a working for NASA during the Apollo missions, um, and then left and said, oh, NASA's lying to you, NASA's lying to you because there's aliens on the moon, or have been. What he is doing is just getting you to buy into the NASA lie that people stood on the moon, that we went there. And at the base of what Hoagland is doing, um, you have to accept that NASA did go there, did do all these things. They just lied about what they found. And in my view, it's just all shenanigans. Right. What Jay Widener um, conjectures is that now uh, Richard Hoagland was taking images and processing them in Photoshop, I believe he was turning up the contrast and the gamma, if I remember correctly, and seeing these lines and things, and he was saying yeah. these are glass structures on the moon. Jay Widener did the same thing and said, yeah, I see the same thing, but that's the the uh, front screen projection, and then he actually goes on to show photos and video uh, comparing 2001 A Space Odyssey to the yeah. Apollo, and I gotta admit, there are very sad but true similarities to the point that's like yeah this really looks like what's going on well i mean when you combine that with the parallax tests that were shown um it's pretty clear that stuff was shot on a sound stage and not only that anyone who knows anything about filming and photography so many of those apollo things they were taken and shown where the cut lines were where the rear where the rear projection screens were inserted um every one of those videos i mean what are the odds every one of those videos has like a little convenient ridge line where the rear projection can be set up beyond that. Um, That's what he was showing, yeah. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I I don't really think it's an arguable thing. With everything we can put together about what NASA has handed us about the moon landings, it's pretty clear. It's 
none of it's real. It's a construct. So by accidentally losing the tapes, they're preventing anyone from having any new footage to work with. Especially That's right, this... because they can plausibly deny parallax now. Well, this isn't the original footage. Someone changed it. You see, if those originals were there and someone came in and did parallax, they'd be screwed, blued, and tattooed. But, I mean, look at movies like Capricorn, whatever it was, Capricorn 1, or even the James Bond movie where he's in Vegas. Mm -hmm. I think it's Diamonds Are Forever, where yes. he breaks into this rich guy's place and he's got a fake moon mock-up and he steals a moon buggy. I mean, they're just slapping you across the face. They're poking you in the eye. They're mocking you because you were gullible enough to, to believe that the moonshot was real. Right. And for anyone out there who, who thinks that this is all ridiculous and, and total rubbish, I think you have to look at who is actually running these, these agencies and where it all comes from. For instance, NASA was started by a lot of people who were leftover Nazis that, brought, that were brought over from Operation Paperclip. So that tells you a lot right there. Well, they were all Masons. Every astronaut, I believe, has been a Mason. Um, in the video I did where I demonstrated that Pluto was not just a construct, but a ridiculous construct, uh, Disney was a high-ranking Mason. You know, he made his, his cartoon character Pluto the same year that they announced the discovery of Pluto. It goes on and on and on. It's a bit like when I dissected the, the, the supposed landing on that comet, uh, Philae, the Rosé Philae mission, and uh, when I first started um, to do the investigation, when I was getting ready to do the clip, I looked over at my wife and I said, what do you suppose the odds are that one of the views of the supposed comet is going to match the Egyptian island Philae, where the Isis temple and all these things are? And she kind of smiled. And sure enough, one of the views did match. But as I sat down to do the research at the outset, guess what day of the year that comet was discovered back in whatever it was, the 60s, I've forgotten. Well, it was September of 11th, of course. <laughs> you see, it never ends. It's all just a massive shell game. And for the people who think that this is outlandish talk, I would invite them to set aside their skepticism and just go look at some of the work that's been done. Because if you spend a few hours, not only will you begin to question it, you might spend a few days. And if you spend a few days, you're going to find out real quick none of this stuff holds up. Right. The common modern eye. And for anyone who hasn't put this very simple thing together, uh, numerology is extremely important to the powers that be. No doubt. Everything is encoded with numbers, and the kind of coded wordplay goes on and on. You know, as an example of that, um, Sandy Bullock's newest movie, Crisis is Our Brand. Well, it didn't take people long to remove the CR and show the ISIS mm. is our brand um, and start to dissect even the titles of movies that you're slapped across the face with. It's absolutely encoded with numerology and gematria, and there's absolutely this bizarre wordplay that goes on, and many think it may relate to some of the older, like Hebraic language, where there were no vowels so that these words can be manipulated in a way where any vowel can be shifted in or shifted out and make words and sentences mean whole other things. This is absolutely going on. And again, that's not arguable. It's been demonstrated to be so far beyond chances. You know, it's, it's really not a questionable thing for those who have looked into it. Right. No, without a doubt. Now, here's something I haven't heard anyone discuss yet, and um, I, don't, I don't know what you think of this. Is there anything... Uh, about Star Wars The Force Awakens, the biggest movie that's come out in God knows how long. Was there anything that uh, stood out to you about that? 
I haven't seen it, but I know in my bones that no mega blockbuster movie gets released in the modern age that is not echoing, pre-announcing, reinforcing old lies, and tied into the system. And just the title, The Force Awakens, should tell you something. Um, you know, you've got to look back to 1977 and look at the story of how we supposedly got the first Star Wars. They act as if George Lucas had this idea and it, it wasn't going so well and, you know, there's all this doubt. And No, this was a preconceived thing put together. Uh, it was a milestone. It was a major shift in culture from mm -hmm. the entire planet. And so when you fast forward and now Disney, of course, Disney, who's been complicit in so much of the things we've talked about and been so responsible for using the airwaves in movies to condition us all, um, Disney paid about $80 gazillion for that franchise now. So, you know, anything that is Disney, you already know what's going on. It's Disney. Right. And um, I don't know what George Lucas may or may not be in, have been involved with. Uh, he was friends with Stanley Kubrick. And I know he helped him in his early days. It's a club. You know what? You know, I, I feel sorry for people who still head to Hollywood to wait tables and try to work their way into stardom because I'm convinced that, you know, these are all people from bloodlines or nepotism, this kind of thing. The people who make it big, um, I don't accept for a second that it was just this amazing story that this person happened to make it. I think that the the slot they occupy was waiting for them when they got there. And I think many of them can be related to royalty all the way back to I Love Lucy. I think that there's a clear connection between the controlling powers that be and this kind of Jewish-operated, owned and operated Hollywood system that has done so much to skew our view of, of the world. I'm not one of those people who buys into the Jews are evil and, and run everything, but there is absolutely no doubt that it is that Hollywood is predominantly uh, controlled by people of Jewish no, descent. No, I mean, you, you can't just blanket and say Jewish is bad. I've got a lot of friends that are Jewish. They're not bad people. Right. But there is an element of that ancient religion and that ancient kind of tradition um, that has gone hog wild and clearly into the banking systems. And, you know, whenever you see what other industry can you point to and say this Italians run all this or Greeks run all this, it's really nothing you can point to. And yet Hollywood, even in the modern age, we know that it's a group of Jewish families that own it. And uh, that, that doesn't even seem, seem legal in, in the kind of American construct we've been handed, that that seems like it should be violating some law somewhere, right? Right. And, well, basically what you're, you're saying is that it's a monopoly of sorts. Hey, it's not just a monopoly. Um, they have co-opted their special families and bloodlines in and out of there. Um, you know, there's a reason why, you know, you'll hear terms like Hollywood royalty. That's what you're looking at. And I, I would like to throw this out there to anyone. Uh, I would like to challenge someone to look into Star Wars, the modern incarnations of it, because they're putting out movies every year and they are just pouring money and resources into creating new material. And of course, there's no way it's not going to have something to it that, that they're going to use for their benefit. No, there's no, there is no modern movie released that is going to have any sizable audience that isn't playing into the system, the coded system that we see. It just isn't. 
all the Marvel movies are echoing things. As an example, the first Avengers movie, where Iron Man goes through the portal with a missile. Well, not too long ago, my wife witnessed what looked to be one of those spiral portal-y things opening up in San Diego, and we were told it was caused by a Triton missile. These things, portal specifically as an example, are being echoed everywhere in Lego, in cartoons, in movies, just portal, 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 all over the place. And it's clearly um, echoing what we see in real life. And when we look back to the Norway spiral and these other things, it's been pretty pretty agreed upon that it makes sense to look to see if that's some kind of portal technology going on. And when I already you know, have spoken about that nobody leaves low Earth orbit, you got to wonder, are they trying to poke a way out? Who knows? Right, and a lot of people make accusations at CERN and other such institutions that what they're really doing is they're trying to actually rip the fabric of space and time and see what it's really all about, and exactly that, create wormholes, create portals to other places. Well, when you know, not too long ago, they did the big Higgs boson God particle announcement, and they did it on Nova. Um, when I watched that, I have never seen a more painful kind of construct pushed out to the public. Um, it was so funny because one person in that film that they were supposedly announcing the God particle had been found, um, they asked him, when will we find it? And he said, never, it doesn't exist. One person out of this line of people they put in there, and then they get into the room where it's going to be announced, and it's just so painful. And, of course, Higgs is sitting there, the man who came up with this with a scowl on his face, and he's not allowed to talk. But if you look at what's happened around physics leading up to this, you know, we were told growing up in school that physics was supposed to refine itself down to this one simple equation that described it all. When in fact, what's happened around the Higgs boson and other things is it's gotten so complex that they invent a new particle every other day, so now they have a particle zoo. So even a high-level branch of science is not, you know, without its influences of the system we're talking about where, you know, there's no way I would buy anything about the Higgs boson to be real. Um, I watched their announcement, and I saw the coded meme, and I saw the same game that gets played on the nightly news. There it is. And, you know, over my lifetime, I've witnessed physics become such a convoluted theoretical mess that, you know, it's gone the opposite way of where we were expecting it should go. What do you feel about, if you're familiar with, uh, the concept of the electric universe versus the, the standard model uh, based off of Einsteinian physics? I was asked this a little while ago, and some people from the electric universe model got upset and contacted me. So I will do my very best not to be insulting and be very polite to them, because that was not my intention. But I don't accept it, because in my view, what's going on is they're just taking the same old, tired NASA model we've been handed, and they're electrifying it. You see. So that's where I stand. Right, so you don't think that the physics would work out any differently to, to really make a difference? Not even interested to know if the physics does work, because I think that the whole basis for what space is absolutely has to be challenged. I don't think we can accept any of it. So I guess it would be safe to say that we don't know the very nature of space and time itself, so anything that we're looking at in the mainstream physics world is going to be accurate anyway. Yeah, and I think that it's also quite probable that the sciences and things that we have grown up with that back these things have been shaped by the original lie. I mean, if you look at Newton's Principia, um, one of these really important old scientific documents, I think someone counted, I don't know whether it was hundreds of thousands of times, he used the word if 
if this is true, then da 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 da. And you start to look, and you then you say, well, wait a minute, you know, what is a law? Is gravity a law? No, gravity is not a law. It's a theory. And yet, how many people do we have out there challenging gravity? Because it's only a theory. So we, we should be challenging it, right? We either need to prove this out so that we can call it a law, or we need to find something else that better describes what we're seeing. Um, this is the problem that I have, that even the basic tenets of science, and believe me, I'm not anti-science at all. I grew up, father was a PhD, very scholastic household, but the problem has become that the people who have funded the universities and these other things have really come to control what is allowed to be looked at and what is allowed to be said. About a week ago, I read an article in one of the papers here on the East Coast talking about the death of the American university for very similar reasons. Now, all that being said, have you come up with anything that you can logically deduce, for instance, about the lunar wave that would make sense with any science that we understand right now? Mm. Uh, um, I'm not sure how to answer that, I guess. Um, well, the conjecture by a lot of people is that it's a hologram of some sort, that what we're seeing is like a refresh rate. Yeah, you see, that's unfortunate, because originally that's how I went at trying to describe what I was seeing, and I may have been slightly influenced by some Russian research that were kind of using octaves, which I think is a good way to probably describe what we're seeing, octaves. But I tried to use hologram for lack of language to describe what I think was going on as right. kind of a facade. And the problem with that became people latched onto it and said, well, how would we make that work? How does a hologram work? Where's the energy come from? Did the cavemen have holograms? And it became this own line of reasoning that was unhelpful to the point where even the logical assumptions were being ignored, where I am saying it's not a rock in space, and yet I see a moon. Well, if there were cavemen, they saw a moon. So what's different? Well, the difference is, is that people are assuming that people are making this technology. But see, and I'm not making that assumption. I don't know what is causing all of this. Um, so now what I say is the lunar wave, I believe, is a facade. Um, it's a construct. It is not a rock in space. You could not land on it if you wanted to. And one of the things I point out is I've spent thousands of hours out at night with binoculars, telescopes, and cameras, and I've seen an endless number of fireballs that we were told are meteorites coming down from space space rocks burning up in our atmosphere, and a number of those. I mean, I don't know if I've seen hundreds, a lot. I've seen a heck of a lot of them, and a number of them look like they might have hit the ground somewhere. And so when I look up at the moon, here's this supposed rock in space that looks like it's been through a shooting gallery. It looks like it's been hit every other night since it's been there. And yet, in all the history of the images of the moon I can see, there is no substantiable record of it being hit by anything, and in all the thousands of hours where I've been sitting here on Earth watching fireballs come in, nothing has ever changed, moved, or been different on the moon. And so there it is. I mean, it's just more logical reasoning that can lead you to question what you've been told. Now, that's very interesting because obviously we know meteorites hit the ground all the time. People find them. If they're hitting the moon, you should see some evidence of this, hypothetically? Right. I mean, at one point when I had been saying, that, look, nothing hits the moon, you know, it can't be hit, in my view, all of a sudden NASA released what they called 4K video, you know, really buoying up how important their footage was. Mm -hmm. And so we look at the supposed meteorite hitting the moon with this NASA 4K video, and what it was 
was a poorly focused, grainy, black and white piece of footage of the moon, um, nowhere near the quality that I get when I shoot the moon, and this little light lights up on the face of the moon for three or four frames, and that's what NASA provides us with. And so my response was, at what point does NASA's imagery of the moon have to surpass my no-budget image? You know, it was clearly more BS footage from NASA trying to address the problem of, you know, meteorites never hit the moon. Nothing ever changes. That almost seems like uh, sloppy, lazy work by whomever is actually behind that. It's like you don't even change the image at all? Well, it's a mind game. You know, they know that a hundred million people have been convinced we went to the moon, so it doesn't matter that a million understand we didn't. It's almost like there's a computer algorithm somewhere that tells them, um, you know, numbers are in our favor, just release this, and the people who don't get it will continue not to get it, and the people who do get it are still the minority. Now, you were saying about the technology uh, upping its game with, with the 4K. How close can we now zoom in before it gets too pixelated, and, and like, what kind of detailing can we get with the modern technology? Well, it's funny. I saw, I think it was a Nikon camera that's been making the rounds that uh, when it's fully zoomed in, um, it approaches what I get with my telescope. But that's wholly a function of your equipment. In other words, if I had a big enough budget, I could create an optical system that went way below a quarter of a mile or who knows, hundreds of feet or, you know, it's, it's just about what you can create. And the problem is, like, when I bought my telescope, my Mead 8-inch fully robotic telescope in the mid-90s. It was made in America, top quality. I still have that scope today. It still functions and has been across country and moving trucks numerous times, never even need to collimate it. I've never had to tune it in for focus, and all this time, still as good as the day I got it. Well, now the scope I have, um, you can see what's happening. Um, Mead, which is no longer a brand of scope I will support because they're made in Mexico, Tijuana, and they're just junk now compared to what they make. So the consumer grade of things, it's been getting harder and harder to get quality instruments. But nonetheless, if I had an unlimited budget, I could go out and put together a system that sky's the limit, you know, as good as you can make it. So pretty much what we can conjecture at this point, if budget wasn't a concern, you could shoot the moon down to, like, you would be able to look at the Apollo landing if it was there. Like, you would be able to see um, it clear I'm, as day. I'm not going to say absolutely yes, but I will say yes in an overarching way because theoretically there should there should be telescopes on this planet now that can pull that off. That's what I'm getting at because the images that they released from Hubble were, I mean, it was just a couple of dots. It was It was barely anything. Well, it was a lie. I mean... A very smart man proved within two days that those were constructed false images and that the resolution required to shoot Pluto was not the resolution that we were shown there. And again, we weren't really shown anything but shadows, you know, and then the same coded memes, oh, the flags tipped over, you know, these kind of silly games they play with everything were coded into the story we were handed. Right. But what I was getting at is the technology should indeed exist that we could get pretty close-up images if there is a lander sitting there. Well, we're told there's seven miles worth of buggy tracks out there. That's seven miles, an object or a mark that is seven miles. Um, in my mind, there's no way there's not scopes on this planet now that could detect something like that. That's that's what I assumed. 
that at this point we should be able to shoot that, especially if you're shooting in 4K video. That's some serious resolution. You should be able to blow that up and actually see things clearly. Well, the other thing that gets me is like there's supposedly these retro reflectors that somehow they've got a laser beam, you know, that they can shoot a quarter of a million miles. I've done videos on why this is false, too. As a matter of fact, if you go to one of the websites, um, they were regularly defunded because it was found there was no scientific value to these supposed lasers that were supposedly bouncing off the moon. But if you look at all the metallic or reflective things they left there, how come no one's ever filmed one of them glinting at a certain phase of the moon? Sunlight hits all that stuff. But I guess if you really want to get logical, we're told there's four inches of baby powder-like dust all over the surface. So how in the head, hell could any of those things work in the first place? Right, the laser, the uh, whatever it is they're bouncing the laser off of would, would theoretically be covered by now. Well, it's so funny because if you look at the story of the laser bounce, um, back in the day they would say they shot so many billions of photons and three came back, right? Well, Mythbusters recently did it, and I think they claimed, they claimed one photon came back. But here's the funny thing. I actually saw this done once. You see this green laser go crack, 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 and send out this pulse of lasers. And then about two and a half seconds later, a computer goes beep, and they say, yep, we did it. So there is absolutely no way for a human being to verify any of this. And what really defies the imagination is I said, well, how do you know that you collected the right photon? And they told me we shot a few billion, and one came back that we collected. And it's so monochromatic, we know it's the right photon. But here's my question. So we are told the moon's nearly a quarter of a million miles away, which I don't accept. How in the hell do they keep a laser beam tight enough to ever go that distance and reflect off anything? I was just going to ask you that. If it's 237,000 miles... No, the more you look at it, the more you can see it's just more lies. And again, go to the websites. There's one or two observatories left, I think that supposedly do this lunar ranging with a thing. And there is actually a report done that says they should be defunded because there is zero scientific value to what they're doing. In other words, it's all just charade. Would it be easy to prove, do you think, that the uh, the laser system itself would be so spread out by the time it would go, travel 237,000 miles that there's just no way it could do what it's claiming to do? I think so. I think some smart individuals out there might be able to look at what lasers are being claimed or being used. And, uh, you know, if these are really well-trained individuals who know something about lasers, they could demonstrate pretty quickly. Um, There's no way in hell. And, you know, you're setting aside the fact that we're told it's going through the atmosphere, which diffracts it, then the boundary between space and Earth, which diffracts it. The ionosphere, I once read a definition not too long ago that the ionosphere starts 30 to 40 miles above our head and goes 1,200 miles up. Well, in the middle of that, around 100 miles or 160 miles or somewhere in there, space is supposed to start. And yet the ionosphere is still being claimed to be a thing 1,200 miles up in the vacuum of space. The ionosphere is charged particles. So all these things, and what about the Van Allen radiation belts? Well, you'd be shooting that laser through that. What about the new glass wall that was found in the Van Allen radiation belts? You'd be shooting through, I mean, it goes on and on. It's just silliness. What I was kind of getting at is if we can't attack the problem directly, for instance, neither you nor I could shoot a rocket to the moon to say, hey, this isn't what it seems to be, perhaps we could whittle away at things we could prove, for instance, the laser. I think so. Right. Yeah, I think so. And and this should be, as I suggested earlier, this could be a 
um, a community effort, lots of people could attack this problem from different angles and just put it all together. That's right. And, and you know, there's also a diffraction that occurs, we are told, when anything leaves our atmosphere. It's like light going into a glass of water. So, you know, they're hitting this little one-foot or three-foot-by-three-foot reflector, and yet the laser has refracted through our atmosphere. And, you know, as we know, the Earth is spinning, and as we know, the, the, the moon is moving and, and tipping and rotating a little bit, 90 degrees every six hours, we are told. So you put all these things together, but I, I agree with you. If, if a lot of people looked at that, there's no doubt in my mind that they would just find nothing but endless problems. Right, and, and this is what I think we could all, all of us who are just asking these questions, each one of us could use our particular skills to attack a certain aspect of the problem. Like I suggested earlier, people who work at planetariums or, or have access to these telescopes, well, you could do a huge amount there. But someone who's, say, a physicist who deals with lasers, well, you could just show the math of what would be needed there and, and disprove that part. So if we all attack this little by little by little and then just put it all out there, we could really start getting a better idea of what hopefully is going on. Absolutely. And I think to some degree this is happening already. I mean, who hasn't seen the footage of the guy who made the Hasselblad camera that supposedly went to the moon, you know, just saying there's no way that picture was taken, you know? Um, it goes on and on. But I agree with you. These are the things that will make a difference for the doubters, for the people who don't understand. And I think it's already happening to some degree, but the more people who jump in, the better. Right. And the big thing everyone's got to remember is that don't subscribe to any one theory so militantly that you're ruling everything else out because these things are next to impossible to prove and we have to use as much circumstantial evidence as we've got. And don't, don't get in the mindset that you have all the answers because you don't. No, I agree with that, but I would point out that there are certain things that will get uncovered which pretty much show what you've been handed is a falsehood. Um, and while that doesn't answer all the questions, as you point out, it does tell you that the people who provided the data in the first place did not tell you. I just don't like how people get in camps and all of a sudden it has to be that model or nothing else. Well, that's just like subscribing to a religion that's full of holes. That's the problem with joining groups. I talk about this all the time. Mm -hmm. I belong to no group, and I never will. Um, in my view, this is the age of the individual discovering what they can, kicking down, challenging the boundaries, and then freely offering up what they have found. The reason is, and the Flat Earth is a good example, this is a group that's been around a long time, and clearly there were people in place ready to step in and make a mess of things anytime they wanted to. No group is exempt from being infiltrated and ruined, basically. Even if it's set up with the best of intentions, someone who sets their mind to infiltrating the group and causing trouble can do so very easily, and that is the problem with groups. No, absolutely, and that's what's going to keep happening, no matter what organizations out there, If you're, especially if you're hitting onto something that's getting closer to the truth, it's going to get infiltrated and they're going to keep up this divide and conquer nonsense and, and just keep everyone guessing and fighting with each other so that you don't get onto what's real. That's right. And then they can attribute it to a group. They can belittle it, defame, do all these things. That's why it's so critically important that the individuals that make strides forward just show what they found as an individual and let people reason out what you reasoned out. And then that information ends up having so much more value. No, I completely and utterly agree with all of that. And I've been saying this for quite a few years now. I do believe that because of the invention of the Internet and this intertwined communication thing that now exists, we could actually 
start figuring this out for real. This isn't about people having to sit in libraries for decades photocopying things. This is, hey, I've discovered this. I'm putting it out here. And we can all communicate literally in current time. It's like, I've discovered this. I can call someone in China. And this is what we have to use. We have to use this power of communication to take down the system. And I don't think uh, the creepy old men that are behind all this really saw what power this has because this instantaneous communication and capability to share data, it's incredible. It's never existed in modern human history. No, I agree with you. Um, It's hard to imagine they didn't see it coming. You know, ARPANET was around for the military quite a ways before we ever got our hands on anything. Um, I was there uh, on computers that as, you know, AOL and the other first kind of public access internet gateways came into being. But um, what you just described, it's already happening. Um, It just needs to happen a lot more. Uh, I think your call for people to get involved and do what they can is important. There are a hardcore group of people who have shown so much about the deception. But when more and more people get involved, it's going to matter more and more. I mean, not too long ago, the cover of National Geographic was put out there to address all the people who understand the moon landing wasn't a real thing. And it was used to belittle them and make them seem like crackpots. But nonetheless, it demonstrates that the powers that be had to address it because it's gotten so big. Right, that at least it got enough attention that a national magazine had to address it. That's right. And that is a badge of honor. Um, there, you can't take that away. You know, that tells you the state of things. We have made a difference when that kind of thing goes on. And I, I do believe this is happening more and more. Now, mainstream television and movies and things, they're not attacking this headlong, but I think people are interjecting it little by little, and it's just getting to the point now where it's showing up in everything. Because if you take a look at most, maybe not most, but a lot of the mainstream media that comes out nowadays, it's interjected into there. It's, it's not like, you know, if you're looking at things from the 50s and 60s, it would never be in there. But today, it, it, there's even if it's just symbolism or little signs, it's just everywhere. It is. I mean, the, they're, they're, the, the media and all the kind of big information outlets have been co-opted by a very small group of people. That's all there is to it. And they were co-opted for a reason, um, for control. Um, and this stuff was going on in the 50s and 60s, and I just wrote an article where I covered some of this. But the funny thing is, it was much more hidden to a much sleepier audience back then. And yet, we would expect, as the audience becomes more awake, for it to become more hidden. That's not what we see. What we see is that it's becoming more blatant and more furious than fastly paced. Um, and that tells us something, too. It's almost like it's understood that at some point the cat is coming out of the bag and, you know, they'll deal with it in some preconceived way when that time comes. It almost feels like that. But at the same time, it feels like they're going to scratch and claw to hold on to it as long as they can. Right, because it's only dripping out at, at such a tiny pace. But like you said earlier, you used the example of Star Trek. I think that's probably one of the big ones that they used early on to introduce certain concepts. Well, there's no doubt. Um, TV, I mean, you can go all the way back to I Love Lucy. Um, you can see what's going on now when you look at it with the modern eye. But these big constructs like space, yeah, you know, it got defined. This is what space is. And everybody who's ever, you know, the Twilight Zone or anyone else who's covered it has made it look the way it was originally described by NASA. Actually, I should say by Walt Disney. If you go back to the first 
for those of us who are old enough and remember when Disney came on Sunday nights, the wonderful world of Disney, if you go look up on the internet or other places, those shows where they're announcing what's going to happen in space next, it is a very strange thing because it is Disney saying, we are designing this next for space. They're literally saying that. And it's almost like NASA isn't even really in the picture. It's Disney doing all this. You should all go back and look at the early kind of Von Braun Disney announcement of what's going to be happening in space. But the funny thing is, none of it ever came to pass. All these space stations and all these other things that Disney was saying they were bringing us, um, it just kind of underscores what we're talking about here. It was fabricated by the owner of an amusement park and then put out on TV for all of us. That almost goes hand-in-hand with the uh, projected future in 2001 Space Odyssey because, well, I lived through 2001 and we definitely didn't have an incredibly active space program with um, space planes going to stations and to the moon. Obviously, this this never happened. Right. But they, well, the, someone seemed did. confident that it was going to happen, that they would conjecture, hey, by, by we're doing this in the 1960s, we're going to have this by the 2000s. It really makes you wonder what they were thinking, doesn't it? I mean, they're, they're showing spinning space habitats and all these other things, which was echoed in 2001, and it was covered in Disney. Um, they're even showing their artists rendering out what the next thing for space is going to look like. But none of it came to pass, and it's a very curious thing. Now, do you think they were doing that just for the audience at the time, or do you think that there was an intention to, to do more, and it just it got cut? Hard to say, you know, uh, you got to wonder, was it that they had so many close calls with the NASA thing that they backed off this grand plan they had? I, I just don't know. Um, clearly, they were all complicit in the in the hoaxed NASA landing. Oh, absolutely. I'm just wondering, were they putting this ideal out that, hey, we really are going to do this, and then they realized, no, we, we can't let this be a public thing, and they cut it back? Cause, cause not, they got, not really sure how to address that. I mean, at the base of it, they were putting these ideas into the minds. That part succeeded. This is what we expect space to be. This is what we expect space vehicles to be. All these things were seeded into our minds, but why they never followed through with it is, uh, I mean, look, it wasn't too long ago that Bush the Jr., said we're going back to the moon again and then to Mars. Well, what's come of that, you know? Right, I remember that. I think that was around 2004. Yeah, there's Gene Cernan in the back with a big scowl on his face as the president is announcing we're going back to the moon. Really? Well, we did it in the 60s. Why can't we just go step out in the garage and do it in an instant now? We didn't have the computers or anything else going for us when we pulled it off back then a number of times, and yet we still can't quite make it with all our modern advances. That's right. Um, it's all silliness. It is all silliness. We are here on this place, and the people running this place are just as stuck as we are. It would appear to be so because, you know, no one even discusses the fact that Bush said that over 10 years ago. No, it's, it's a very bizarre thing how these things fall through the cracks, and then they'll roll out on Big Bang that they're looking for private citizens that are going to go to Mars. Well, really... Because we were handed in the 60s that you had to be the best of the best of the best, a damn Iron Man, to even be considered for the Apollo mission. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Now fast forward to the Big Bang where some small Jewish kid on the Big Bang who's got asthma, has never done anything physical in his life. Now he can go to the space station anytime he wants. Fast forward a little beyond that, and NASA is asking private citizens to go ahead and apply for this Mars mission, because (laughs) anyone can do it, right? You don't have to be anyone special. And yet, they make these announcements, 
in conjunction with the movies that are being released. If you go look at the announcement for, oh, yep, we're pretty sure Mars out of water, that was released on a Monday. That Friday, Matt Damon's movie The Martian was released. Yep. They are all complicit in this game, this media game. No, totally. And you got to wonder, they're putting out this uh, idea of going to Mars, and you're not coming back. Like it's a it's a one way trip. I that that tells me a lot of very interesting things right there. Yeah, it doesn't worry me at all because I know for a fact nobody's ever going, and I, I'll take any <laughs> bet anyone wants to put on it that that mission will never happen. Although, here's a scary thought: for those of us who have seen the movie Gravity, now if you took that movie and showed it to someone who didn't have any way to get information, you know, about our world. They would believe wholeheartedly every inch of that footage was shot in space. It's that good. So you got to wonder at what point do they really start, you know, doing these missions to Mars where it's all done in a Hollywood studio at the level like a movie Gravity was done. And it almost seems like they're going to get to the point of, of space reality shows. Just hey, here's here's these people on, on the space station right. doing this. Here's people on the moon doing this or on Mars. And it's just all it's all Looney Tune. It's it's ridiculous. Right. It's exactly right. And, problem is is that the majority of our planet is still asleep and uh, that needs to change you know everything we've talked about here today is based on mind our reality our world is created by my mind your mind all of our minds and to change this system it doesn't there's no need for a war there's no need for violent resolution all that is needed is for people to change their minds because this whole house of cards falls to the ground the minute that happens. You've been convinced something is true that is not true. Not true. The moment that you realize it is not true and you change your mind, the power of the original lie has been diminished. No, you're completely correct. And I, I invite everyone out there to look at everything with an open mind. Indeed. Challenge it all. There's you know, that's that's what this is supposed to be about. And yet we've become this very gross community of people on this planet where not only do we not recognize anything subtle because we've been trained that way, we take the word of some other person or group or officialdom to define our reality. We have been taught, don't look for yourself because these people have already told you what it is. It is time to reverse that. Look at it for yourself. Challenge it. And man, right out of the gate, you're going to find problems with so many of the things you accepted as gospel. Nope, you're absolutely correct. I, I guess as we're winding down here, that the best thing we can say to anyone is do your own homework and make your own conclusions because you're going to find a lot of the same things we are. That's right. There is no substitute for firsthand observation. And just because someone told you something is true, just because you grew up hearing it a lot, just because it was written in a textbook, that does not guarantee you anything. When you go out and observe for yourself, that does guarantee you something. It tells you that your own mind, your own senses, your own observations have given you real-time data that can then mean something concrete. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to thank you so much for the time you've given us today, and I think this was an incredibly interesting and detailed interview, and hopefully we could do it again sometime. Hey, man, just say the word and I'll be there. Awesome. Do you want to uh, let's talk about your YouTube channel and anything else you're working on right now? Well, 
people who are interested in seeing the lunar way or the endless line of amazing things that have been shot through my telescope can go to CRROW777, Crow777 on YouTube. That is my main public interface. And in this month, February of 2016, I will be launching a podcast. Uh, half of that will be free to the public. The other half will be for five bucks paid membership. Uh, members will help me serve my own video free of the YouTube constructs, and it will also allow us to have an adult conversation free of trolls where people have full access to me and all the work that I've done. So we absolutely want to support you and everything you're doing because you're one of the few people who is you're not even putting any, any labels on anything. You're just doing the research, putting it out here and say, this is what I found. I'm just here to challenge the construct. Um, it's time for a change, and I hope that I can help people change their minds uh, in a way that challenges the house of cards we've been handed. Absolutely. So we need to support people like you. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks so much, bud. Very fascinating interview with Crow. I invite everyone to check out his YouTube channel and his upcoming podcast. If you want to contact this show, you may do so at secretsofsaturn at gmail.com. Everything we have is on the YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash secrets of Saturn. And we are an official podcast on iTunes. We'll see you soon.